1: Well, Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is October 23rd, 2016, a beautiful Sunday. And we have with us a really special person, Amy Van Otta Slater. Is that how I'm saying it? Is that correct? That's right. Van Ata Slater. Okay. Uh Okay. Uh, She's going to be talking with us today about how to overcome obstacles in your life and how to move forward. It's a subject that I hold very dear to my heart because I believe in a lot of what she's written in her book. Uh, you can't help but um, admire her for, for what she has overcome in her life. And as we all know, a lot of times we have to actually experience these things to really understand them fully. <laughs>
2: um,
1: you know, it's like it's it's one thing to, to talk to people about an experience you've had, but the empathy sometimes isn't there from others because they haven't experienced what you have. She's currently a senior vice president at a leading technology company, and she's also a highly sought-after leadership mentor. She does speaking, and she's also a, a single parent of three beautiful girls. So let's talk about your book now, which is called Moments, Magic, Miracles, and Martinis. Welcome aboard.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me on this beautiful day.
1: <laughs> it's, it, it, it's great. Why don't you um, inform our listeners on how this came about?
2: Sure, thanks. So, I, I've always loved writing, but I, I never really thought, oh, I, I think I'll write a book, and. I had gone through some pretty challenging times in the last five or six years, and about just over a year ago, about a year and a half ago, I was on the phone with my coach. I had hired a coach a few years ago, and we were chatting on the phone and just sort of talking about the life changes I had made and how great I was feeling, and I thought, you know, maybe someday I'll write a book. (laughs) And that was my first mistake because he said, well, what's stopping you? And Mm -hmm. I said, I'm stopping me, right? And he didn't Mm -hmm. answer. And I said, okay, I'm writing a book. And so I decided. I decided that I would write a book. And so that's where the actual decision uh, came from. And Mm -hmm. as you know from my book, there's a a chapter uh, entitled Decide, Declare, and Do What It Takes. So upon deciding to write a book, then I started telling people guess what? I'm writing a book. Oh really? What's it about? And I said, I don't know, some stories of inspiration. And (laughs) and then I had to, then the hard part was doing what it takes to get it done. And so that's, that's really where that, that journey of the, the chronicling of some of of my journey started uh, once I made that decision. And I was just, I had been uh, previously inspired to, to change. And as you and I were speaking earlier, a lot of that came from, um, my watching of the video, the TED video by Brene Brown. And she speaks of vulnerability. And she pierced, she pierced my soul at that point, and I sobbed and sobbed for 20 minutes. And I know I'm not the only one who's, who's done that and had that reaction to her video. And from that point on, I, I really started to look at my life differently.
1: It's really um, a great story. We all go through challenges. What do you think is the number one factor that gets us through those? I, you
2: know, there, there are a couple of things. The one, one thing that comes to mind really initially when you think about those challenges and those times of uncertainty is, is having faith. And faith, whatever that means to each individual, it can mean different things. Um, it doesn't have to be religious, you know, it doesn't have to be spiritual, whatever. It's just having faith and believing, believing that you can get on the other side. and mm-hmm. And that's really where I found my inspiration is just in believing that I could get that I could get to the other side of uncertainty. and and to view uncertainty as opportunity. Maybe not mm-hmm. in such a negative way. We put, I think in our society, we put such a, such a negative connotation around the word uncertainty because it's scary. Mm-hmm. Fear mm-hmm. of the unknown. You know, you, you always associate uncertainty with fear and certainty with that certainty is like a good thing. Well, sometimes certain things aren't so great either, right? But there's that fear of, fear of uncertainty. And that, so to me, I think it's, it's having that faith. That you can get to the other side and believing, mm-hmm. believing in yourself, number one, and just believing that you can get through it.
1: Yeah, it, it also has to do with self-reliance, mm. putting yeah. um, things in, into place to improve your skill sets. For instance, you decided to write a book, so you improved your skill sets in that, in that, in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, you, you made the commitment to write your book, but it, it took a lot, probably, on your part to learn how to do it.
2: Yeah, and there's the learning how to do it, and then, like you described, I mean, there's there's the commitment to getting it done. And, you know, I, I mentioned about having a coach. And so many people scoff when you say – you know it used to be therapy. People would scoff, and you'd be embarrassed to say you're in therapy. Then it became cool, right? And then you mm-hmm. had this sort of resurgence of coaches and people like coach – you know, that's a joke, right? It's not therapy. It's a joke. But you know what? Athletes have coaches. Actors and actresses have coaches. Singers have coaches. So why can't we as individuals have coaches to help us with, with our own mind? And I don't mean just the emotional part of your mind, just that uh, mastering of other kinds of skills. And so really that's a, such an important part of growth as well is practice. It takes Mm -hmm. practice to be positive. It doesn't just come naturally all the time. I always explain that to people that just because I write a book about being positive and never complaining doesn't mean that I don't sometimes fall down into the abyss on my own. But now, through my own practice, I know how to get out of it much faster. I can Mm -hmm. actually decide that, you know what, I'm not going to be down in this ditch I'm going to pull myself out. I'm going to pull myself out now because I'm not enjoying where I am right now. But it doesn't mean mm-hmm. I don't go there.
1: Mhm, mhm. No, that's that's a good point. It really is. Now I, I especially liked your chapter on never complaining. You want to talk about that?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a popular one. Uh, in fact, when I was first writing my book, I put that chapter out on LinkedIn because I wanted to see how people would respond to my writing style and all that. And out of anything I've ever written on LinkedIn, it got the most views. It was something like 3,500 views in a very short period of time and a lot of comments on it. And so really um, I, had gone, I had been taught about this um, challenge, really, this 24-hour challenge of not complaining. I'd gone to um, uh, basically a, an off-site, a company off-site, and we heard about a 90-minute um, conversation really about positive mindset. And the challenge before we walked out the door was go 24 hours without complaining and let's see what magic you experience. And I thought 24 hours, that's easy, right? I thought I could go 24 (laughs) hours without complaining because I never thought of myself as a complainer. Well, I was kind of wrong. And uh, so I get on the plane and like, this is easy, right? I wasn't talking to anybody. So it was super easy not to complain, you know? And if I had any complaints in my mind, I just didn't express them. And then, of course, I walked through the door to my household of two teenage daughters and then another younger one, you know, who at the time was five or six years old. And that's when the challenge really began. And by being so focused on not complaining that if anybody else complained, it was like nails on a chalkboard. And I thought, I'm not going to go there, right? You're not going to ruin my 24-hour challenge here. (laughs) I'm not going to let you complain. Like, don't complain at me. And then I had these experiences with, you know, my oldest daughter, started to complain about her you know ending a relationship with her boyfriend because they're going off to college and you know I'm I'm a coddler so I used to just sort of coddle go oh it's okay baby it'll be all right you know pat her on the back Mm
1: -hmm. instead
2: you know I took all my strength and I said you know you're so lucky you had a chance to have a feeling of what what love is like for two years I said so now you know I said so let's let's look at it that way and I said I know, by the way, why don't you look at this website? Because it was of the guy who ended up subsequently being my coach. I said, he's got this great website. Why don't you check it out? might make you feel better. Sure enough, I go off to work. I get a text from her when I get to work. And she had watched some of his videos, you know, about being all in and everything. And she wrote, um, I am what I create. And so, (laughs) you know, here's my 17-year-old daughter realizing that, you know what? I make up my mind about how it is that I think and I feel. And I thought, is this the magic he's talking about? I mean, it was, it was remarkable. And it, that's just one on a list of, you know, a dozen or so things mm-hmm. that happened in that 24 hours when I just turned off the complaining meter. And I, a, when I got to work, people thought, like, what, what has happened to her? Not that I was ever a grouch or a complainer, but my energy was so different that it was noticeable when I walked through the door and people were like, what, what have you been smoking? You know, <laughs> like nothing, oh. nothing. It's just me. You know? So it was great. It was a really, and so I do that challenge from time to time now as well. If I feel like I'm going into a, you know, getting into kind of a rut or something, I say, okay, I'm going to do this 24 hour challenge again. And, and I encourage a lot of people to do it. And, and, and then they come back to me and say, Oh my gosh, you're never going to believe what happened when I stopped complaining. <laughs>
1: I had heard about it um, prior to your book. Mm-hmm. I didn't keep the twenty-four hour commitment. <laughs> I think I went off <laughs> onto something else. <laughs> I was just like, I mostly because it was shocking. Yeah. It's really shocking when you have to be conscious. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah. you know, because you feel bad. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm complaining again, right? So it's mm-hmm. almost like you feel kind of ashamed, you know, which you shouldn't be shaming yourself, but you feel a little bit ashamed that, oh, my gosh, I am a complainer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Why is this so hard? I get people say, wow, I had to start over like 12 times.
1: <laughs> and didn't didn't Brown in her TED Talk talk about shame?
2: hmm Yeah, she did. She talked yeah, a lot about shame. True. She has several other talks um that focus even more on, on the shame side. And so that's the other thing. When you do complain, you say, okay, start over. Like, it's okay. I'm not a bad person. I just, I, I've got to focus. And so mm-hmm. I think anytime you focus on, on, on anything, right. You can make improvements and just that awareness, just having awareness is, is a huge step.
1: Well, we have so many distractions, yeah. particularly now more than, more than, than, ever more than before. we can
2: count. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Certainly technology. You know, Absolutely. Uh, you know, as well as I do, you're out in public, and there's rarely any uh, eye contact anymore. Mm. Everybody's looking oh, yeah, down at their phones. Oh, heads are
2: down. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it's bad. And yeah. it's bad for you emotionally. It's bad for you physically. I mean, there are, you know, chiropractors and body workers will be in, you know, high demand for our, you know, certainly for our children and, and for us, too. Um, mm-hmm. Because of that, mm-hmm. just even the position of your head—you don't make an eye contact. But guess what? You're not doing any favors to your neck and shoulders either.
1: That's true. Plus, plus the strain on the eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious, since you you work in corporate America, how is that handled in the workplace? Because oh, it's, it's, the same. it's a form of it's a form of addiction. So everybody's just always looking at their phones. Is that taking place in the office environment as well? Oh yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: I would say yes, absolutely. It's become, it used to be considered rude and disrespectful Mm -hmm. to be on your phone in meetings, you know, I mean, texting or responding to things or Mm -hmm. responding to emails. Now it's it's commonplace. And unless you specifically say, you know, put it down, it's just that the expectation in corporate America, you're always on. And so what happens is you're in a meeting, you're in a meeting and you might be talking to a group of people and someone is on their you know it used to be they were on their laptop now they're on their phone and or their laptops. and clearly when they see something and they're doing it they think oh so that's that's more important than what i have to tell you and so mm-hmm. there so i think that has a heavy impact on um on company culture i you can know, only that, imagine that, that and technology you work, and
1: you work for a tech company right
2: uh, wow. Media technology now, but it's been high tech really my my whole career and there there I guess the word I the words I try to use to describe it is that I think we've gotten confused about boundaries, you know personal professional boundaries boundaries of space and time and uh, prioritization, you know it used to be that when you're in a room and you're talking to somebody that person is the most important person in the room right Mm -hmm. then because that's who you're talking to but now Mm -hmm. lots of distractions and I'm guilty of it too I try to make my if I have my phone in a meeting the only calls I typically will take will be something if it comes from my one of my children and I will text them and say is Mm -hmm. it an emergency yes or no Mm -hmm. if it's no I said I'll call you back and that's and that's the way I try to handle it but um yeah it's it's a it's a huge it's a huge challenge but we've made it a necessity because then people expect you to be always on.
1: Well, always on. Now, does work productivity go up as a result or down? Good question. Yeah, I think an if survey.
2: used properly, it would be a great survey. I think if used properly, I think in in certain instances productivity, you know, goes up. Um, but I'm not sure about job satisfaction. You see, productivity may go up, satisfaction may not necessarily go up or even say the same and may go down because guess what? I'm always available. I'm available 24 seven, even for my job. Mm-hmm. I'm expected to be available pretty close to those kinds of hours. And so, you know, you kind of get used to being interrupted, you know, mm-hmm. at off hours, um, not all the time, but companies, companies often have that, that expectation.
1: It's kind of like a ball and chain around you that you just can't mm. get rid of.
2: Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that you set a precedent, because for me, for example, to my friends and family and work, I am very responsive, so if I decide to put my phone down for a couple of hours, and I come back, I might have 10 text messages, where are you,
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know, mm-hmm. or, you know, and certainly from my children, mommy, mommy, you know, my youngest daughter, mm-hmm. answer me, I'm sorry. I'm not available. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So where's the off button? I think as a society, there's this feeling of being always on. Well, and I was describing to some people the other day, I, I, you know, have my phone beside my bed because I don't really use my home phone. Certainly I have two kids out of the house, one in the house, but two kids out of the house. And so I keep it on in case there's an emergency for them.
1: That's right. right. That's right. I do too.
2: yeah so what did my night look like i went to bed at 10 i was awakened at 10 30 by my daughter's music because her
0: her That's it didn't shut off
2: she put on a timer her timer didn't go off on her music that she was listening to to go to bed and then one o'clock her alarm clock accidentally went off on her phone oh. so 1 a.m oh, so then oh, i woke up again geez. and then at two thirty, my daughter who's in germany studying abroad called me two thirty in the morning because she was upset about something and just didn't seem to calculate the 9 hour time difference and realize that I'd be sleeping you know and then I had somebody else text me at 3 out of worry about you know her own child and I'm like that's okay I'm available for you all <laughs> you know wow you know so wow. it's that always on so there's that expectation but there's that fear that if I shut my phone off yeah you know, that's my own issue if I shut my phone off someone's going to freak out Right, what happens to my daughter? She can't mm-hmm. reach me, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: so it it has become kind of this fallen chain. But we also set the expectation: if I wasn't responsive, it it may not be that same. It may not be that same way.
1: Yeah, you know, there was there was a period of time where I just put my phone in the other room and didn't even pick it up for hours and hours and hours. You know, mm-hmm. and it felt so good. <laughs> It there was this it feels really sense good. of freedom, you know, <laughs> because if, if we don't have timeouts, everything you say in your book isn't going to happen because mm-hmm. we have to have time to self-reflect.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was years ago, probably 10 years ago, when it was sort of before iPhones and it was the Blackberry, right? Mm-hmm. And I was getting ready to, I was working for Cisco and I was getting ready Go on vacation for two weeks. I was going out of the country for two weeks. And someone, a peer of mine, said, I said, don't worry. I said, something like, you know, I'll still be available. And he looks at me and goes, No, you won't. You're going on vacation. I said, I know, but, and he said, you know, I think given the choice between food, water, shelter, and her BlackBerry, Amy would choose her BlackBerry. Because <laughs> I, I felt horrible. I felt horrible. I was like, is that what I, who I've become? So I do, and I'm sure if my kids were to hear this conversation, they'd say, oh, right, Mom. You know, I do try to put it away, you know, certainly from time to time, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, we try to have times where he said, you know, phone's down, phone's away, and <laughs> I've, I've had that experience with my, you know, my youngest daughter, who's 11, and she had a friend over, and we went out to dinner, and I said, no phone, said, everybody put your phone away, we're going to have mm-hmm. conversations at the dinner table, and then, of course, I got a text from one of my other daughters, I said, okay, you get a two-minute break, I've got to be in mind, because I have to deal with the situation, two minutes, and in that two minutes, they were disrupted, these two, my daughter and her friend, mm-hmm. by a couple of their friends who were texting them saying, "Are you two having a sleepover?" Blah blah blah, and it got all anxious. And so I said, "Okay, phones down," and it changed the energy at the table because mm-hmm. they were intruded upon by their other friends who were jealous that they were together. And oh, interesting. It's that, and it's this interesting social anxiety that we've created because there's the you know kids our ages, there's the fear of missing out, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so. Or they're being left out. This friend and being left out, right? They're <laughs> uh-huh. missing something they're being left remember, out. Are you go, oh. are you talking about me behind my back? And because mm-hmm. of technology, they know they're together because they've done some app where they're doing something together and everybody knows that they're on it together. Oh my gosh. And so oh my gosh. I just noticed in that two minute time frame the way the energy shifted. And I thought, this is not good. So put those phones <laughs> away. And we actually had a really good conversation about it. I even brought up the four agreements, you know, Don Miguel Ruiz, and I talked to them about not making assumptions, that they know what their friends are thinking. And anyway, so I started, you know, putting some spiritual, you know, mumbo-jumbo on them. But, uh, you know, it was an opportunity to talk to them, and they understood. I said, look at what happened, girls. Look what happened. what's happened to your energy because mm-hmm. of those texts that you received. And I said, you don't have to respond. You're having dinner. I said, so let's put the phones away. You don't, you don't owe them mm-hmm. a response. Yeah, it's
1: almost because like you have, tra- I'm mad. you have to train them. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. So anyways, so it, culturally, you know, it's, it's just done a lot, um, created a lot of anxiety. A lot of studies show um, the kind of anxiety it's raising in, you know, in
1: the younger generations today. Mm-hmm. And, of
2: course, the older mm-hmm. ones, but the younger ones are being raised with this kind of energy.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow it all. Listeners, if you're just joining in, we're talking with Amy Van Atta Slater and we're discussing how to overcome obstacles in life and she's been giving some really great examples. Let's talk about your chapter called Stand for Something. What do you mean? Stand <laughs> for something. Yeah,
2: you know, I think I think so often and, and, and I'm not gonna I wouldn't just pinpoint it on women, but a lot of times I think women, I think it's sometimes going to be a greater thing for women is that we're afraid of establishing our point of view Mm. or for for standing out, right? That Mm -hmm. we just want to sort of blend into the woodwork or blend, you know, be a wallflower or what have you, because we may not feel that we'll be, that our position will be valued and, and we don't, because we don't value it ourselves, right? Or there's maybe a lack of confidence and, um, in, in what we believe, or we don't even know what we believe. So, you know, you find your passion and your purpose. I'm certain that five years ago, I really didn't know. I didn't know what my purpose was. And so I think because of, partially because of that, I hid. And I might be in meetings or in, even in social situations, I might not give my point of view, uh, ah. because i i i didn 't know that I could number one i wasn 't sure I had one if I was convicted enough to to have a conversation, and number two, even if I did express it, maybe i 'd be challenged and mm-hmm. and i just didn't i didn 't want to go there and you know in that 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 chapter you know a lot of it 's about you know your your own personal brand do people know who you are and Years ago, I'm not sure people could could all conclude the same thing. Now I would suggest that if you ask people in my personal life and in my professional life, most people I think would describe me the same way, which to me is what I've strived for, which is to be authentic. So it kind of comes back to being your authentic self and standing mm-hmm. for something everywhere you go. You're not you know, one person at home and one person with your friends and one person at work and one person, you know, with your mom and dad or what have you, but that everybody sees the same person, that you're not having to manipulate your persona based on the situation. So be, be, be comfortable and confident standing up for who you are and for what you believe in. Now, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek by bringing up the, the um, part in the title, which is about martinis, right? that you can't Mm -hmm. be afraid to stand for something. And because of my illness, I had, um, my intestinal illness, I had stopped drinking alcohol for over a year, which I was not a big alcohol drinker, but anytime you forbid yourself from having something, it makes you want it more, right? And so I just didn't drink. And then when I decided I would maybe drink a little bit, I said, oh, well, I can have, you know, potato vodka, um, gluten-free, that's awesome. And so, but I'm not going to have straight vodka. I'll have an extra dirty vodka martini. And, you know, when you're working in a man's world and you order something and you have to use the word dirty, you know, extra dirty, you know, it just feels weird, right? And I was embarrassed Mm -hmm. at first, you know, I'd whisper to the waiter or waitress, I'd like an extra dirty, and they would always say, excuse me, I can't hear you, you know, and then I have to say really loudly, and then I'd say I want an extra dirty martini yeah. and then people would, people would look at me and I'm like, and I'd look at them. I like, I like them dirty, you know? I mean, like stop. What is it? So bad that I've ordered it martini. So I just embraced it. And so that's kind of the tongue in cheek part of it about standing for something that it's okay. Cause guess what? Next time I see those people, they know what I drink
1: mm-hmm. and I buy it, you know, it's
2: not like, Oh, she's a red wine drinker. That's kind of commonplace. Right. So it's something You can't be afraid to stand out—not just stand for something, but to stand out. It's okay. Mm -hmm,
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's um, in your in one of your chapters where you talk about healing from the inside out, and you talk about the book um, by Dan Millman, "Way of the Peaceful Mm Warrior." I read Mm -hmm. that book so very long ago, and was just mesmerized by it. And I think I've read it again. I think I've read it again over and over again. I mean, probably now my interpretation would be very different, perhaps, from what it was, you know, many years ago. But uh, to find that in your book was really great.
2: <laughs> yeah, And, you know, they have a movie. I've watched the movie. I don't know if you've watched the movie. They've done no, a, a movie about it as well. And and I, it was fun for me because I graduated from UC Berkeley, and that's where that's where the story takes place. So it was kind of fun as well when he would that's describe true. where he was. You know, mm-hmm. I could I could imagine it. Um, and I read it just several years ago and I think even now I would, and I should probably read it again. Um, cause I think I would, cause I've had sort of my awakening, I think since I read it, I've had my own sort of personal awakening and I think I would view it differently, uh, as well. Mm-hmm. But it, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that I recommend, um, when I coach people or what have you, I, I often give that book as, as a gift to people that are, you know, that are trying to, to find their way. I think it's, it's mm-hmm. just a great, mm-hmm. great book. And he's come mm-hmm. up with it. He has a, come out with a, a number of other books that I actually have on my bookshelf. I haven't had a chance to read yet, but uh, he has a few others as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've read his other ones, but this seemed to be the one that stuck with me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's really the foundation. It's really the foundation mm-hmm. of,
1: of mm-hmm. his thinking. Right. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything in your book run across as well. Let me, you know, maybe. Yeah maybe that's partly because I do a lot of research and I have my show mm-hmm. and I talk to a lot of people and I read a lot. So I'm in that exact same circle where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it was so really, great
2: it's because fun. it's so much fun. And when I, when I sat down to write my book, I basically took all of those books and I just had to stack, you know, a mile high mm-hmm. the books that I had read kind of on my journey. And, I'm the kind of person that just, I love the feeling of a book in my hands. Like I'm not me a big, too. you know, online reader. And mm-hmm. I write things in the margin, like, oh my gosh, that's me. You know, or
1: I <laughs> underline
2: it. I ear the page. And so as I'm writing my book and, and trying to get certain themes across, I'm, I say, oh yeah, that book. And I flip open and find the page. I'm like, there it is. Highlighted, exclamation points, stars, you name it. You know, if I could put like music to it, I would, you know, to the, to the phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that was so much fun is going back and kind of flipping through and seeing the different parts of the book that meant something that meant something to me and then incorporating them into my and own, sharing into that, my own message. Yeah,
1: right, right. And sharing it because you'll find when you're doing your research, people say the same thing in so many different ways Mhm. and you'll find those on your bookshelf, you know, it's just, Oh yeah. Thing, yeah. That's one thing that came, came across to me when I was doing research and I was like, wait a second. So-and-so just said that. Well, they're saying the same thing. Yeah. Just putting it in a different, you know, giving it a, a different, different example.
2: It, it's just been so, it's been so enlightening. I, I ended up connecting with another um, new author on Facebook. I don't know. He, he lives in, he lives in Kentucky, I believe. And we got mm-hmm. connected and, he had written a book, um, you know, Time, Your Time is Now or something, uh, Your Time is Now. And so we exchanged books and, you know, he had self-published his book as well. And I was reading his and same thing. I'm like, underline, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And it's just that, whole, <laughs> that sort of like-minded thinking and just saying it in different ways. And here he is in a completely different part of the country, totally different background, nothing mm-hmm. like mine. And having the same epiphanies and it just gives you this amazing sense of belonging that Brene Brown talks about that you want to mm-hmm. feel like you belong and that you're not alone, whether, in you know, mind, body, or spirit, right? You're not alone in your thinking. And in this, this recent journey of mine, the people that I have met either face to face or virtually, it's just been phenomenal to realize, Oh my gosh, there's so many other people that think this way too, or that have had a common experience. And I think that's where growth and comfort comes from. It's feeling like, you know, you're not, a, you're not alone in, in this or in the way that you think. And there's something also about connecting with people that don't know you or didn't know you kind of before. Um, mm-hmm. There's sort of a freedom that you feel in a, in a, in a sense of trust. I've had more people, since I've written my book and I've gone to different book signings, they they tell me some of their dark secrets because they feel mm-hmm. it's safe. It's mm-hmm. safe somehow um, to share those things.
1: But it is. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. yeah, it, it yeah. is, right? Cause it's
1: because you've you created, share with someone you created who knows, that. Yeah.
2: And if you share with someone who knows you, there's always, mm-hmm. I think, and I've found a greater fear of judgment. That, mm-hmm. oh, if I share this with, you know, so-and-so, they're going to think this of me. But if you share it with someone who you've read their stuff and you think, oh, she'll get it, I feel safe. And, and you <laughs> create that, that safe space, you know.
1: Yeah, I do. Gratitude's also <clears throat> a really, I mean, I, I practice that on a daily basis. And I'm sure you do, too. Um, mm-hmm. Too many of us forget about it. And it, there really is a miracle in it.
2: There is. There absolutely is. And, you know, and gratitude, it, it just doesn't have to be a Herculean effort, right? I mean, gratitude is so simple. And, and I know it helps a lot of people through uh, suffering. Um, you know, my mom who, you know, as you know, I write about my mom and dad in the book and my dad who's suffering from Lewy Body Dementia and Parkinson's. And my he's in a home, and my mm-hmm. mom lives in her in her own home, you know, in the house where she and my mm-hmm. father lived. And every night, she'll write down three things that she's grateful for, because Aww. there's there's so much that is so painful for her. But she'll write down, you know, what she's grateful for, so that she remembers, and because it's easy to get sucked down into the sadness and the grief of, you know, grieving someone who's dying. It's basically, you know, it's basically a living death. And um, oh, now she's so sweet. She said she keeps my book by her bed. She goes, I think I have your book memorized by now. She said I keep <laughs> reading it over and over again when I can't fall asleep, which is so cute. Um, but it's having that gratitude. And it's choosing language. You know, I, I um, you asked kind of about different things and how you incorporate things into the workplace. I've mm-hmm. made a point of I try not to, to overuse the word thank you. Uh, because people use it all the time. It's really nice to say thank you. But I've started to bring the word grateful into my emails, even at work. I'm grateful for the work that you've done on this project, or I'm grateful Mm -hmm. to you, or I appreciate you. Um, It's just much more personal than Mm -hmm. thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, gratitude, you know, especially when you're feeling, feeling uncertain and it's, um, there's something about the frequency, the vibration of gratitude that raises, raises you above um, kind of a dark place.
1: Hmm. No, it, it really does. And I can see in the situation with your, with your parents, uh, with the absence of your father in the home, she, your mother is having a flood of memories.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And rather than, well, I, I think that we, we, our, our brains work this way. We remember the good times, not the bad times.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, it's amazing. It is amazing how that happens, you know, and she forgets, you know. It's like, when she says all these great things, I think, I remember the times when my mom would used to complain all the time about my dad bugging her and can you believe he did this and that. She doesn't say boo about any of that stuff, which is so there great. There you go. She just talks about all these amazing, and they started dating when they were, you know, as you read in the book, 13 and 14 years old. So talk about a lifetime, a lifetime of memories. And she just says so many great things, so many great things about him and great stories. And we sit and tell stories about him. And there's not a negative word
1: out of her mouth. Hmm. Well, you know, she, we all have choices in our lives. And she has chosen to take the high road and be grateful. Yeah, yeah. And
2: she'll get on the phone with me, and she's had will have had a really hard day. Things going on with her house that she has to deal with, and she'll start the conversation like many people do when they talk to me. Say, I don't mean to complain, but (laughs) (laughs) and I always say it's okay, just because I wrote a story, you know, a, a story about not complaining. It's okay. It's okay, but thank you for saying that you're entitled to feel frustrated and challenged because you've got a lot on your plate. I get it. You know, but it's Mm -hmm. just so funny. People say they start their sentences like that all the time. I don't mean to complain like, okay, well, let's see what we can do about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's really funny. So in overcoming obstacles, let's do a little recap of um, the ones that you believe are everlasting and that people should really try to incorporate into their lives. If they're not already doing them, of course.
2: Yeah. So I think in overcoming obstacles, I think it's really important. And I imagine you would agree with me, given we are pretty like-minded is, Mm -hmm. is to stay present, stay present, Because many cases, and I'm as guilty as the next, we create our own obstacles because we get ahead of ourselves and we say, and then what if this happens? And then that happens. And oh my gosh, how am I ever going to do that? Or how am I ever going to get through that? And then you kind of get in this frenzy of thinking about all of the obstacles that you've got to overcome. And so I think a really key part is to stay present. Mm-hmm. and 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 then that 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 will help even reduce the number of obstacles that you may have because you're do not create you're not creating them
1: and you're you're taking a step back yeah exactly exactly
2: and you know i think also in terms of you know overcoming obstacles some of the things that we've we've talked about um is is to, is, to, is to also be positive, right? Is to focus on the things that you can control. I mean, it sounds like a lot of things around, you know, uh, all different kinds of things like, you know, alcoholics anonymous non they that say, you know, mm-hmm. control the things you can and let go of the things that you can't. Mm-hmm. And, 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 then, and then I also have become, as you also could tell from my book, but I've also become, you know, a real believer in the things in the four agreements that Don Miguel Ruiz talks about, right? Is, is to always do your best and know that some days your best may not be as great as your best was the day before, but to always do your best. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
2: and, and, and that's going to keep you in a place where you can get past things and not make assumptions and, and not to take things personally it's so easy when we're faced with obstacles to go into that um, that role of being a victim. True. You've got to take ownership of, you know, say, oh, you know, she did this to me or he did that to me, or if, if he hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have done that. And if the world weren't this way or that way, I would be this, you know, and you get into that victim mentality. So you'll never overcome obstacles if you continue to play the victim. So
1: mm-hmm. I think
2: it's also a way of, of owning what's yours and and then go do something about it. Take a step mm-hmm. forward, right? Overcome obstacles. It's so easy to become paralyzed and and not want to move forward because it's scary. And I get it. I, I get scared every day, but you got to take mm-hmm. a step.
1: Yeah. Well, that the fear factor definitely is involved in that. Um you know, owning what is yours, I like that. That's mm-hmm. all about and personal responsibility.
2: Exactly, and, and also, to, and also, you know, one thing, you know, the other piece is, is also, be nice to yourself, be kind. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. most cases, you know, we're our own worst enemy, right? You think about some of the self-talk that people have, and I know I have had in my life, where you know, you you talk such crap about yourself right like would you ever say the things you say to yourself to other people probably not Mm -hmm. so be kind be kind to Mm -hmm. yourself and 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 love yourself and be accepting and be okay that you know as you're trying to move forward you're going to make mistakes Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. okay because that's that's where the growth that's where the growth comes and you know You know, I can, there are, you know, many, many, many authors that write about that same thing. The magic is in the messy, Brene Brown says, you know, that's where you find, that's where you can find miracles and, and growth is when Mm -hmm. you get outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, so not to be afraid, afraid to fail or afraid to make a mistake because that's, you know, that's a great opportunity for growth.
1: Well, there's that connotation that failure is a really bad thing Mm -hmm. in our society. And it's really quite the opposite. (laughs) If you don't try something, and if you're afraid to try something, then you're not going to move forward. Right. I mean, in every failure we learn. yeah. Yeah.
2: If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Try,
1: try again. That's it.
2: And we forget those things, but there's so many phrases like that. If you can think about growing up that Mm -hmm. actually were really good ways to Mm -hmm. help you move forward. But then there's the, but then there's the societal thing about, oh, failure, F, you failed, you know, you're bad. You get punished because you failed.
1: I, I remember growing up and my father, when I would go to him and say, I can't do this. I just can't do it. And he'd look at me and he'd say, there's no such word as can't. Uh-huh. And it's really stuck with me all my life. <laughs> you know? yeah. This is like whenever someone approaches me and they're having a really hard time accomplishing something and they're frustrated, I'll just look at them and go, figure out another way. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Mm-hmm. Just figure out mm-hmm. another way. If you have to take a step mm-hmm. back for a while, if you have to start eliminating things, do that. But... Do not mm-hmm. do nothing. <laughs> right, right, and
2: you know, and and a lot of things you're saying, like you just described with your father. I think so much. You know, there's so much good that we can do as parents for our children
1: to mm-hmm.
2: you know to develop a generation of, um, of doers of people that are doers and that aren't afraid to make a mistake, and you know it's. Uh, anyways, it's just such an important, it's such an important thing that, that we can do that we can to give back. Is Like you said, that's what your father said, stuck with you. And mm-hmm. the, the, other, the other kind of language I think that we can use personally and profesh- professionally is to say, I believe in you. I believe you can. And then mm-hmm. that person goes, wow, you believe in me? Well, if you believe in me, well, maybe I should believe in myself too.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
2: think just simple words like that, in, in all kinds of relationships, um, like I said in the beginning, is that, you know, is that you, that you believe, that you believe not only can you move forward, but that you believe in others, and mm-hmm. I think people really like to know that, that they have that support, and it gives them that extra confidence to maybe try even mm-hmm. if they might not succeed, even if they might not succeed, that you, you know, and that's then where unconditional love comes in. That it's not mm-hmm. like, well, I'll only love you if you're successful. No, that's not the case. I'll love you no matter what. So go for it. I'll be here for you. Unless you're a whether thief, you make
1: it or don't. Or you yes. right, unless, <laughs> unless you're lazy, unless you, or you're unless a thief, you're, unless or you're exactly, a
2: liar. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You know. Unless you do something and you really burn me. Um you know, but certainly with your children, you know, just just give it a try. There's nothing I I hate more than than people that than people that just won't try. Nope, I'm not gonna try it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: teach yourself. Yeah. Right. Or I failed, so I'm not gonna get up and try it again. Yeah. Yeah. I give up. Yeah.
2: You know. And, and I, we tend and to see to that in ourselves. We have that in
1: our children. You know, kids will do oh, that. Yeah.
2: Mhm.
1: And that's yeah. where you kind of have to step like in and go. No,
2: you,
1: you, you didn't, you know, you weren't born to ride a bicycle. You're going to have to keep trying till you get it, get it right. Yeah. Yeah. I always I had this, uh, I always had this saying with one of my best friends is, you know, you keep doing the same thing over and over again and you keep thinking you're going to get, a different result,
2: <laughs> yeah. Insanity,
1: right? Insanity, uh, that's the definition, exact, okay. yeah. You know, <laughs> so eventually you're going to get it right. I know you are. <laughs> you're going to turn this way instead of that way, and you're actually going to be able to do it.
2: I know, I know. It can be so simple, you know, but we always do it so much. We go with what we know, right? This feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to keep hitting the ball this way or that way, <laughs> um, and it keeps going the wrong direction. That's why I don't play golf because. I just can't get
1: it. <laughs> can't. There I go, I can't.
2: I just have not invested the time and energy in doing it right, so <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm hey, I'm there with you. I I, I yeah. prefer to ride along. <laughs> yes. I love the cart. I love the golf cart. Uh, yeah. I, need to pick I love up driving condo, the cart. right yeah. along. Yep. I'm right there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to
2: do that. Enjoy the sun and you know, I get it, but it's not it's definitely not my I know my purpose and passion in, in golfing is not Either
1: one of those. <laughs> not well, my purpose Amy, nor my passion. <laughs> Amy Van Atta Slater, you've been wonderful to talk with, a real inspiration. And why don't you let our listeners know, because we're running out of time, sure. uh, where they can purchase your book?
2: Of course, of course. So, uh, easiest way to do that would be to go onto Amazon and okay. you can type in uh, moments magic miracles and martinis you also can go to my website where there's a direct link and my website is www.amyv as in van Atta, slater s-l-a-t-e-r dot com dot com wonderful
1: well i have a lot of gratitude for you having joined our show today Thank and you're welcome you. back anytime grateful.
2: Fabulous. I I always have stories. People can tell you. I definitely always have stories. When you have three daughters, it is never a shortage, but never a shortage for
1: stories. <laughs> oh, oh, my word. Yeah, I have, I have a, a grown son, and uh, he was not a problem at all. But I yeah. can't even imagine having three
2: daughters. Oh,
1: yeah. And the they drama. are
2: awesome girls. The drama. Oh, yeah. drama. That's yeah. all I'm saying. They're amazing. Yeah. Oh, there's tons of yeah. drama. Oh, it's, 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 it's never-ending. So, um, I, You'll I be able to write another book. I, oh, yeah. There, there, there's a book in the, in the works, so absolutely. <laughs> I knew it.
1: I knew it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Take care. All
2: right. Make it a great
1: day. Bye-bye all right listeners that concludes our show for today thank you so much for joining in and please tune in again next thursday at 4 p.m pacific standard time which equates to 7 p.m eastern standard time bye-bye now be well
0: We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? Dot com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer, Now What?